Memorial Weekend's upon us, right? Uh, kind of the unofficial kickoff this summer. Um, it feels really warm out there. Um, it's actually probably the first time in a long time that we've actually been able to say that on a Sunday, right? It feels like every Sunday in New York has been rainy. And so to actually say it's warm out there, man, it's, it's great and we welcome that, right? I mean, I have my, my napkins here ready because I'm going to be sweating. Uh, I got my water, hope I don't kick that. But guys, I, I just love being with you guys and love worshiping on this hot day. Um, Memorial Weekend, as it says, unofficial kickoff to like summer. Right, and it's also a weekend. Right? Most of us, some of us, probably here, are uh, planning a barbecue tomorrow, or going to the park, or spending time off. As most of us are probably all from work, or all from school, um, and so Memorial Day is a great time when we get together with family. But it's also a time of remembrance, right? It's a time when we remember our fallen heroes, those who have sacrificed, made the great sacrifice of giving their lives for our freedom. It's a time when we remember the families of those who also sacrificed so much, right, for our freedom. 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 This is a word that has just such great meaning. It carries with it such great emotion, right? This word freedom, where we, we get to we reflect on the cherished liberties that we have and we enjoy. Freedom. Something that so many have fought for. So many fight for today so that we can enjoy. And while though our fight for freedom uh, it still goes on today in our country, there's a fight for freedom that we no longer need to fight. And this is the fight I'm talking about. It's a battle that's already been won. It's a freedom for our souls that's already been done and already been won on the cross by one person, Jesus Christ. And so, but while we have this freedom, today we see in our word, and we see it in our lives, right, all around us, that there's still many of us and many people who seek to take that freedom away. We're talking about false teaching. We're talking about fake news. And that's the series we're in, right? It's called Fake news. It's this danger that is for us today, uh, but it's not something new, right? In fact, we're looking at that in the book of Galatians, right? How fake news from, that has kind of made its way into the church from the very beginning of the church's existence that is out there to do what? To distort the truth. To take the truth of the gospel and kind of make it something that it isn't, something that it never was. And so we're looking at Paul kind of going at now the church of Galatia. And so last week we, we, we continued this series and we learned in chapter 1 as we wrapped it up that the church in Galatia is falling into this deep trouble, this deep issue of going into quickly deserting uh, and abandoning the teachings of the apostle Paul and believing this false gospel. And so we said Paul, man, Paul loved the church at Galatians, right? In fact, we can say Paul uh, was sort of like the spiritual father for these churches at Galatia, right? That he, he's credited for planting the majority of the churches there. And so he, he writes this letter with great love, deep affection for the people at the churches in Galatia. And he's talking to them, he's writing this letter to answer some specific problems that have made its way into the church. You heard in chapter 1 in Galatians that it's quickly, Paul's amazed at how quickly they've abandoned the teaching that they, that they heard from Paul. And that they began to, to believe the distorted gospel. And so Paul in verses 6 through 8 in chapter 1, just to catch us up, uh, responds in a very direct way. He says this in verse 6 through 8 in chapter 1. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel, but what? Not that there is another gospel, but there are some of you who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. In verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what I what we have preached to you, he says a curse beyond. See, clearly this is not something that Paul was taking lightly. It's not something that you and I here sitting today need to take lightly. Brothers and sisters, 
here with us today. The gospel of Christ is a beautiful gift. It's good news. It's the good news that, that, we need to, that we need to share as is. And so as Danny prayed for us, man, that we will go into today's word just vulnerable and ready for God to work, right, to hear the true gospel preached. Are you guys with me on that this, this morning? I, I'm glad I see some heads shaking up and down, so that's good. So last week we wrapped up chapter 1 of Paul's letter, and we looked at this last week, the power of God to transform anyone. Like anyone, right? His power to transform anyone. We looked at the life of Paul. And we said, man, Paul was this murderer of Christians. But then he becomes this missionary of the gospel of Christ. And we looked at this amazing transformation in his life. Chapter 1 ends this way. He said, they simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. Their response to that in, in verse 24 was they glorify God because of it. So last week, Danny, I got to listen to his sermon. Last week, Danny uh, told us his greatest prayer for you guys, right? The greatest prayer that he has for his, for his, for his church, for those who God has uh, trusted him to shepherd. You guys remember the prayer? His greatest prayer was this, is that one day we will receive a knock on our door. We'll open it up and we'll see the publishing clearinghouse holding those huge checks worth $25,000 a month. Right? That was his prayer for us. And I was like, man, praise God. Thank you, Danny. I received that one. <laughs> it wasn't, right? It wasn't. Even though, you, know, like, you guys don't know if we were, I wasn't here last week. I, my family and I were invited to preach in, uh, and to worship in Park Slope. And so if, when I heard that, if you would have asked me what was Danny's uh, greatest prayer for me, you know, my wife said he's my BFF. So, like, my greatest, his greatest prayer for me would definitely be that. That's what I would hope. But it wasn't, Right? All kidding aside, his greatest prayer for you and I, for all those that God has called him to shepherd, is that we would experience a radical change of heart. That's beautiful, guys. That's a beautiful prayer, and it's good for you to know that your pastor's heart is praying, man, more than this, more than you, you know, that job that you've been praying for, we, we will pray hard for that. More than, uh, you know, sicknesses and healing to take place in your life, more than uh, relationships to be restored, though we pray for that. Our greatest prayer for you guys and for us is that we will experience a radical change in heart. And I believe that was Paul's prayer for the church as well in Galatia. That the gospel preached to them will produce in them a radical change of heart. And that's why he wrote this letter to defend the gospel that he preached to them. And today I want us to continue looking at that letter. I'm going to be in chapter 2 again of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, this is the point where you can go ahead and open it up. We're going to read from verses 1 to 5 today. If you don't have your Bibles, you heard Danny mention earlier, no worries. Inside your bulletins, you should find your notes. And so we love to kind of keep you engaged. And if you want to follow along, we love taking notes. We made that a little bit easier for you. If you have some fill in the blanks, go ahead and follow along that way. Some of the scriptures will also be on the screen behind you. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read Galatians 2, verses 1 through 5 for us. And so Galatians 2, chapter 2, chapter 2 verse 1 opens up this way. It says, Then after 14 years... I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment, 
so that the truth of the gospel will be preserved, will be preserved for you. So we're told here that this isn't Paul's first trip to uh, Jerusalem. Scholars go back and forth where exactly this trip took place, and I don't want us to kind of get tripped up or hang up on that there. But what I want us to examine is why is it so significant that Paul goes to Jerusalem in the first place? Remember that Paul is writing right to the church because of this false teaching that began to distort the gospel. We're going to go into what exactly that false teaching is, but he's saying it's coming out of the gospel that is preached supposedly from the church leaders in Jerusalem. And what is this gospel? Again, it's the good news that tells us that we are saved by placing our faith in Christ alone. This is the gospel Paul was preaching, right? That, that is it. That we are saved by faith in Christ alone. There's nothing more, nothing else that you can add to it, nothing else that you should uh, uh, decorate it with. It's all by the grace of God that we place our faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And that's what I titled today's talk, The Finished Work of Christ. The cross of Jesus was enough, brothers and sisters, was enough, and it is enough. And Paul said, I preach that gospel to you. And so when our text, he goes up to Jerusalem, and he, he goes where the, the leaders of the early church were, and he goes to make sure of this, not to make sure that he got it right. You see, Paul said, man, I received this gospel, not from man, but by revelation, right, from Jesus Christ. So I'm not going up to Jerusalem to make sure I got it right, but I want to make sure I'm not running in vain that this gospel has not been distorted by the leaders in Jerusalem, that it is being preached faithfully. And so Paul goes to Jerusalem. And this is important, another important point here, why he went to Jerusalem. Look, check out. For centuries, the people of Jerusalem sat under the teaching of Judaism, right? And this is important because what? It means for centuries that they were sitting under the teaching and learning of the laws of Moses, right? And all the laws that they had to keep and the demands of the law. All the non-negotiables of their faith, including the covenant sign of circumcision that God had given to Abraham. And so when they heard the gospel of Christ, and when they accepted the gospel for the people of Jerusalem, for the Jews, it becomes extremely easy for them. Listen, it becomes easy for them to accept the gospel, but with a twisted understanding. This was the twisted understanding that they so easily fell into like this. Man, of course, Jesus came to save us, right? Because we're the chosen people of God. And so Jesus, of course, comes to, to save us. And why did he come to save us? Because we're the chosen people of God, because we are Jews. And we demonstrate that we are Jews and God's chosen people through two things. The circumcision of the flesh and through the keeping of God's law. And so Paul knew that this teaching that was attempting to lead many people astray took root in Jerusalem. And so it becomes very important that he goes up to check things out up in Jerusalem. And so this leads us to the first point that I want us to make today. We have four today. And so the first point is this, know the true gospel. If you have your notes and you want to take, that's the, that's the first point. You can fill in the blank. Know the true gospel. Let me ask you this question. How easily are you misled? How easily are you and I misled? You see, there are so many thoughts and beliefs and ideologies. There's so much out of this world that's competing, right, for our attention that it becomes easy for us to just get lost in all the noise. And to begin to believe a twisted gospel, a totally different gospel than that is taught in the word of God. And this was extremely easy for the early church, especially for the Jewish believers. To the Jew, the teaching of the Messiah coming to save applied only to them. The thought of a Gentile, a non-Jew being saved was, whoa, way out of this world. Right? The thought of a, a non-Jew being saved, that salvation goes, all, extends to all people, including those not, who are not Jewish, was totally out of this world for them. It's something that they did not immediately grasp and it didn't sit well with them. 
And so as they began to like be blind, their minds blown in Acts 15, if you want to do extra homework and read that, you can kind of read this uh, kind of going back and forth. And when they finally come to realize, man, yes, God saves non-Jewish people, like the Gentiles uh, are saved through Jesus, they began to kind of twist it a little bit and say, man, okay, all right, so a Gentile can be saved by the work of Christ, but this is what we, we believe this, that they can be saved by the work of Christ, yes, but once they become a Jew. If they're going to be saved, then they need to become a Jew as well. And this is going to be shown by keeping the law of Moses, keeping it to the T, and through circumcision. So yes, brothers, you can cover your ears. You don't want to hear this. The teaching was that for you to become a Christian, to be truly saved, was that you must also be circumcised in the flesh. See, this practice of circumcision was instituted. I'm getting very uncomfortable. <laughs> was instituted by God as a means of setting his people apart, right? And we can read a bit in Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 to 11. God is telling Abraham, this is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so for the Jew at this point, there was no going around circumcision. So when the Jews learned that Gentiles can be saved by the work of Jesus, they immediately say, yes, become a Jew first, be circumcised, and then you can welcome into the family of God. This distorted view was that a Gentile must become a Jew now and obey everything that they've obeyed. And so what was being done here? Guys, I think it's the same thing that's being done today, even in our churches. Now, of course, thank God, not the extremes of like requirement of circumcision, but through many other additions that we add up to the finished work of Christ. It's this, if you do this first, if you give to this charity if you dress this way, believe this certain doctrine, if you pray this type of prayer, if you become a member of this church, right? If you give up your secular dream of what is a successful career to you, give that up, go into the ministry. If you stop listening to this type of music or you do all that, once you do this, you sprinkle in a little bit of Jesus and you're saved, right? Some of us know this way too much, too well, what I'm talking about. And sadly, some of us have come out of this false teaching of the gospel. And I want to speak to those who are visiting us today. Man, this is not the gospel of Christ. The true gospel is this. It's on the board, 1 Corinthians 15. It's in your notes as well, verse 3 and 4. It says, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. It's the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It is all the finished work of Jesus on the cross, nothing else. Nothing to add to it. Nothing you can take away with it. It's Jesus and only Jesus. Can we say Jesus and only Jesus? Paul's defending the gospel revealed here. And he's defending it. And he's, and he's talking about in chapter 1, verse 12. He says, man, I didn't receive this from a human source. It was something that was not taught to me, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul knew the gospel. He was on a mission to preserve it. And this is a, and we should be on this very same mission. Look at 1 Timothy 4, verse 16 with me. He says this, Paul's talking to his young disciple, Timothy. He says to Timothy, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Brothers and sisters, we need to know the true gospel. It is going to save you and those we share it with. Number two in your notes that I want us to take from today is this. The true gospel is finished work. The true gospel is finished work. This is fantastic news. 
The fake news trickling into the way of the church was that Jesus wasn't enough. And his work of the cross did not finish at all. It required more from you. You want to be saved? Keep the law, Moses. Be circumcised. This wasn't the gospel that Paul was given. And when he went to Jerusalem, it confirmed that it wasn't the gospel coming out of the church leaders, the apostles themselves. We know this because verse 3, I love it. It says, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. How do we know the apostles were not teaching the same uh, doctrine that is coming to the church that you must be circumcised and keep the law in order to be saved? Paul took with him a test case. Paul takes with him Titus. Good old Titus, who, who's a great brother in the Lord, but he wasn't a Jew, he was a Greek. And so Paul says, man, I'm going to go up there, I'm going to bring Titus along with me. Let's see what they say. So he brings Titus, hey guys, I'm here, but look who else is here, our brother Titus. And he's checking them out, seeing what is it, what, what's going to happen here, what's going to be the response. And we see that Paul, that, that Titus was not compelled to be circumcised. Instead, he was accepted as a brother in Christ. And so Paul's now writing this to the church to tell them and to warn them, listen, the teachings that, 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 that are coming in your way, that salvation requires more than the work of Jesus Christ, is coming from false brothers. It's false teachers. That is not the teaching that's in alignment with what I taught you and not in alignment with what the church leaders in Jerusalem are teaching. Because they were probably telling, man, this is, this is coming from the leaders. It's coming from the leaders. They're saying, no, I went up there. I took Titus with me. They didn't, they didn't require him to do anything. Like they accepted him as a brother and say, man, I'm warning the teaching that you've accepted or that you're, that you're allowing to come into the church is not from God. It's not the teaching that I taught you. It's not the gospel. It is not the true gospel I hold. He says, no, the gospel is finished work. What is finished work? I think the best way we can know what finished work is by hearing Jesus and what he says on the cross himself and what it means to be finished these are the words of Jesus on the board in John 19. While he hung on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins and my sins. Jesus on the cross, he says this in John 19, verse 28 to 30. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, the scripture might be fulfilled. He said this. He said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they fixed a sponge full of sour wine and hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said what? It is finished. And bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus said what on the cross? It is finished. Let's throw in a little Greek there. The Greek word for the word finished here is that's used in Greek to record what Jesus said on the cross. is the single Greek word to telestai. This word to telestai was used often in the marketplace, right? At that time. And so you would go to the marketplace and you made a purchase and what was said to you when you made that purchase was to sell a stock, right? This is the same thing as you and I, when we go to the store, right? Hopefully when we purchase something, we walk out of there with what? A receipt. What does that receipt say? Man, this is paid, it's purchased, it's done. You, you, you gave what you needed, you can walk out of here and say, it's yours, it's been paid, it is done. It is finished. It's proof that you're walking out with an item paid in full. Paid in full. So Jesus is saying, to sell a stock means nothing else needs to be done. It is paid in full. When Jesus says it is finished, he's saying it is done. It is paid in full. Nothing else needs to be done. It's already done. It is finished. The true gospel is finished work. 
So if our debts, brothers and sisters, friends here today, if our debts, our sins have been paid in full by Jesus, we have been given a tremendous gift. The gift that you and I deserve really is punishment. The, 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 the deserving of our sins is death, right? The penalty of our sins, the Bible says, is death, an eternal separation from God. Instead, Jesus extends a free gift of salvation to those who accept the finished work on the cross. This is good news. The power of sin and death forever lost for those who place their trust in Christ. This is liberating news. This is freeing news. And this is point three. The true gospel liberates. This is freedom with no strings attached. By that I mean this freedom is ours without any rules, without any regulations. And this wasn't what the false teachers were proclaiming. Their false gospel did not set you free. What does Paul say in verse 4? Their purpose was to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to what? Enslave us. Not to free you, not to free us, but to put you right back in that bondage to enslave you. I think back in my early days as a Christian, and those of you who don't know me, um, I didn't grow up in the church at all, right? Um, I actually grew up a Catholic but wasn't a churchgoer. All right, my family, we weren't even, uh, I think it's called what, uh, Christian Easter only. That wasn't me either, right? Like, I didn't even go any day of the week, any day here. Uh, wasn't church at all. Uh, I became a Christian at the age of 17. Um, everything was so, so, everything was brand new to me. It was new, a clean slate. Um, and, and I remember, though, this tension I felt when I first heard the gospel preached. This tension, man, how could it be, how could it be so that the work has already been done for me? Like, I, I didn't add up. I knew something that, like, I had to do something to earn it, right? Because I grew up with three brothers. And uh, we're all competitive, super competitive baseball guys. And so our entire life, I grew up, man, competing with my brothers, always knowing this, that I had to earn it, that I had to be better than my younger brother, especially, right? And so, like, man, he can't, and he's the one who made it the semi-pro, so, like, man, he's totally impressive. But, man, throughout my childhood, like, I got to compete with them, and I want to, I got to outdo them. And, and so I grew up, man, just with this determination, I had to earn everything. I had to outdo everyone. Right, my, my father worked hard. My mother worked hard at home taking care of her kids. And so we knew, man, we had to earn what we wanted to accomplish. So my dream was to play professional baseball. That was my dream. Right? And so I knew that there were many people who had that same dream. And so I always knew this, that, man, as hard as I was working, there was always someone else working harder than me. And so this kind of, this, this drive in me to always work, to work harder, to do even more, to push even more, to prove myself to the next coach at the next level up, to prove myself, hopefully, that I get lucky and the scout just happens to be at the game and can, you know, I can you know, rip a double down the line, whatever it is, and just kind of a good game and, and I, I can catch a break there. Like, I knew that this was just ingrained in me. Like, so when I heard the gospel that, man, Jesus did it all for me, there was tension there. When I heard that despite my shortcomings, despite my sin, that God still loved me while I was yet a sinner, blew my mind. That I didn't have to do anything to earn his forgiveness, but just accept the free gift, the free gift of salvation, and faith in Christ. This freed me. It took some time to accept this, but thank God he opened my eyes and began to work in my heart. And it began to, I began to realize that, that my sin and, uh, was really true and that I, be, I deserved punishment, but that Jesus was my Savior and that his work on the cross finished it all and took away the bondage of the sin, of my sin, and that, that held me enslaved. And so I thank God that today, man, God has worked in my heart. And I remember the joy that I had, right, of being overwhelmed by, 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 by that God's grace and just... 
kind of that joy triumphed all fears, right? Of going to my parents and saying, I became a Christian. So going to my teammates and saying, I'm a Christian. Just freed me. But it wasn't long, though, sadly, that I began to come across some very legalistic teachings within the church. Teachings that weren't there to edify me, to build me up as a young believer at the age of 17, but to just put me right back in bondage. Here's a few examples of some of these teachings. That it wasn't okay for me to laugh or smile on Good Friday for some reason. Right? Um, that I shouldn't go shopping or eat anything, uh, eat out, like, eat out on the Sabbath day. Like that was like, oh no, if those stores shouldn't be open. They're definitely going to hell. Um, and a big one for me was that I couldn't participate in any sporting events on Sundays or on Sabbath day, especially like like that's a no no. And I remember the, like I think it was two weeks after I got baptized, um, my my high school team had this championship game and it was on a Sunday. I'm like, oh man. So the pastor comes over to me like, you need to choice and you come to church. Be an example set forth for everyone who just got baptized, or you're going to go to the baseball game, the championship game. I went to my championship game and we won, and I thank God I made that choice. But anyway. But this is some of the teachings, man, that, that we just fall into. And I'm sure that some of it's done with good intentions. Right? Some of it probably comes from honest, you know, personal convictions that, 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 that our brothers and sisters might have. But what becomes an issue is this, is when we begin to require that our convictions, our personal convictions, when we enforce those personal convictions on those outside of, that's outside of the scripture, teachings from the scripture, we run the risk of falling into legalism. Legalism an issue today? I think so, right? See, I, I think of legalism this way. It's when you put a comma where God puts a period. It's when Jesus said, it is finished, period. We say, it is finished, comma, once you do this. The gospel frees, the gospel liberates, it frees us from the bondage of always trying to live up to God's approval. This is why I love the next verse on the screen and in your notes. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but, but, but the grace of God that was with me. As hard as I work, as hard as we work, is not I for the grace of God. And I love that he says, grace of God that was with me. This grace that we need day day by day grace that was with me free grace of God and this is free and why you don't have to live up to the pressures of becoming right with God by our own works we don't have to worry about working harder than the next brother sister sitting next to you today here at church you don't have to worry about working hard the gospel, the true gospel liberates the true gospel frees and so quickly our last point today because we have the, because we know the true gospel we know the true gospel is finished work and it frees us, it liberates us. Number four, stand firm in, in this true gospel. Stand firm in the true gospel. We're going to look at this verse again a few weeks later, a few weeks from now, but I want us uh, to look at Galatians chapter 5 today. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm. Swerve Church, stand firm in the true gospel. Let's not wave from the teachings that are found in this word God, in God's word, the Bible. Never looking to ways to add to it or to, to take away from God's word. Instead, Hebrews 12, 2, right, says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set forth before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and what he did, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sat down because it was finished. 
Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God because he is to be honored and glorified as his work on the cross to defeat sin was totally and is totally, completely done. Stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you hear this gospel for the first time and you want to place your trust and hope in Jesus and the finished work of Jesus, this promise is yours. That by the grace of God, as you place your faith in Christ alone, his saving work on the cross unites you to your heavenly Father. Your sins are forgiven. And it's not forgiven just for today, not just for a moment, but it's forgiven for all time. In closing, let's pause, let us, let us read Paul's prayer to us. Let Paul's prayer in Ephesians 4 be my prayer for you and for all of us here today. So close our eyes and allow this prayer to be said over us. For this reason, bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and height, and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God.